0: Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me for another week of reading and discussing the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Today, we'll talk first about how God creates what's known as ex nihilo, out of nothing. Secondly, we'll talk about how God is not a force for good that's on equal footing as a force for bad, as though it's good versus evil. Who will win? God is above and beyond all of creation and mysteriously allows evil because of a couple things. Lastly, we'll talk about how we as human beings, created out of nothing, are given everything. So God, who did not have to create, who does not have to remain active in our lives, gives us everything, and wants to continue to give us everything and draw us back into relationship with him. After being given everything, uh, there's this paradoxical mathematical equation that if we, too, give away everything, so we've been given everything, if we give away that everything to others, we are just given more and more, and our beatitude increases, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, My daughter Sophia, the oldest of our three children, is in kindergarten. So this is her first year. She went to preschool for a couple years. But this is her first year kind of in the big school. She rides the bus. um, You know, she's, she's learning great things. And along with those great things she's learning, she's also picking up kind of the funny, like, jokes and quirks and trends of grade schoolers. So she came home the other day and she said, mommy, what's your name? I said, Becca. She said, good. She then pointed to her nose and said, what's this? I said, a nose. She goes, mm-hmm. She said, and what's this? Or what am I holding? And then she held up her two hands cupped together. I said, uh, nothing. She goes, okay, with a little twinkle in her eye. Now put it all together. I said, Mwahaha Becca knows nothing, and she just, you know, started giggling, thought it was so funny and clever, so she then went on to do this to my husband, our son, friends, we were at a gathering a couple weeks ago in mixed company, and I caught her midway doing her little shtick with an acquaintance of a very kind woman um, who we're not particularly close with, but I said, Sophia! we do not say that to people we don't really know. We don't really say it to people we know. It's not polite. Um, But we especially don't say it to people we don't know. She said, okay, Mommy, and has been pretty good about not doing it since then. So Becca knows nothing. Becca also was created out of nothing, or ex nihilo, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. We talked a little bit last week about how God's power is highlighted in the Apostles' Creed. Um, It's awesome to be able to create something beautiful from raw materials, but how much more awesome, as in awe-inspiring, or inspiring of our wonder and awe, to be able to create out of no materials, or create out of nothing. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 296 through 298, uh, which is part of our reading selection for today, talks a little bit about how God creates ex nihilo. It says, we believe that God needs no pre-existent thing or any help in order to create, nor is creation any sort of necessary emanation from the divine substance. God creates freely out of nothing. Paragraph 297 goes on to say, Scripture bears witness to faith and creation out of nothing, as a truth full of promise and hope. Thus the mother of seven sons encourages them for martyrdom. The Catechism then goes on to cite a passage from Second Maccabees, one of those uh, seven books of the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament we talked about earlier. She says to her sons, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. Look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus, also mankind comes into being. Paragraph 298 then extrapolates this idea into spiritual life, not just physical life. It says, Since God could create everything out of nothing, he can also, through the Holy Spirit, give spiritual life to sinners by creating a pure heart in them, and bodily life to the dead through the resurrection. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And since God was able to make light shine in darkness by his word, he can also give the light of faith to those who do not yet know him. So God, we believe in his power and might, his love for us, is capable of anything. He's capable of and actually did create each of us, the world, the universe, all of creation out of nothing. And in the same way, he can create this beautiful spiritual life of blessedness in and through each of our lives to this very day. This idea, I think, is a good segue into talking a little bit about um, the powers of good and evil. Oftentimes we have this conception that... um, God is good, the devil is bad, which is true, um, or the devil is corrupted. And they're on equal footing as though it's the good guys versus the bad guys who will win. you know whose team will I be on or who will have uh, enough power to win over you know more participants? It's important to note uh, very simply and maybe firstly, that God created the devil. So Lucifer, uh, meaning light, was the most beautiful, brilliant of all the angels that God created. And like us, human beings, uh, like we human beings, uh, angels have free will, and so they could choose for or against God. They could, with their free will, choose to follow and obey him. They could choose to reject and turn away from him. Lucifer chose to reject and turn away from God. He, he said, I will not serve I will not serve you, Lord, but serve my own purposes. This points to uh, the truth that, again, evil is not on par with good, as though it's an equal force, but it's actually uh, what we would say is a privation, or it's um, parasitic on the good. So evil... Does not have its own substance or existence, but it preys upon or detracts from the good. So, Lucifer himself was a beautiful creation, full of goodness, truth, beauty, existence. Those are all good things that have come from God. He then used his free will to corrupt, turn away from, choose against the God who created him. He continues to exist which is a goodness in and of itself, but he uses that existence for evil to bring others away from God. Another analogy we could use to illustrate how evil is a privation of the good or praise upon the good and does not have existence in and of itself is uh, the illustration of a cavity in a tooth. A tooth is good. And a cavity is something that is a defect, an illness, a sickness that takes away from the good or preys upon that good tooth. Um, Something like cancer is a privation, an illness, a sickness in a good, healthy body. You could quickly go through some of the commandments to illustrate it further. So thou shalt not kill. Killing would be a privation Uh, a destruction of a good life, existence. Thou shalt not steal. This is a privation or a detraction from uh, the goods, uh, a taking of the goods from its rightful owner or their rightful owner. The commandment that says, do not bear false witness. That's a privation of truth. Truth is a good. So I think this idea of good versus evil, these two forces being on equal footing, kind of sneaks into our subconscious because um, you know, we see these cartoons where there's like a little angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, and it's like, who will the person listen to? But I wanna point out that good comes first, and evil is a taking away from that, or a preying upon that, a detraction from that, a privation of the good. This then leads to the age-old question, which the human heart has been asking since the beginning of time. Why does a good God, then, allow evil? If God is good, he's all-powerful, he can do what he wants when he wants. If he truly loves us, then why does he allow evil in the world? This is a complex question that we'll address over time, but first I'll say as I just said with Lucifer, it's in part due to our free will. So God could have made us to be cute little robots that could only do what was good for us, that could, who could only obey God, but he makes us free. And in that freedom, we can truly accept God or we can truly reject God. When we reject him, when we turn from truth, we're turning towards a lack of truth, When we turn from goodness, we're turning towards evil. When we use our free will to turn from beauty, we're turning towards ugliness, the opposite of beauty. And so there are consequences to that. When we separate ourselves from the source of life and love, um, there are ramifications for us and for others. Again, it's quite mysterious because we don't always see that direct correlation. But again, we'll continue to address that over time second thing we can address today or will address today um, is this notion, again, of God's power that in allowing us to use our free will and choose against him, he still brings more goodness, truth, and beauty out of these situations. You may be familiar with uh, St. Paul's writing in his letter to the Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This again shows God's power. He could have kept us in our little lanes, could have kept us on the straight and narrow so that we would always choose the good, we would never choose against him, but he allows us to move about and still brings about good, oftentimes even better things than what we could have originally received. So we can think of a couple local examples, I think back to 9-11, <clears throat> which... That was a funny and eye-opening moment for me when I, I hit that point in my teaching career where I had students who were born after 9-11. I was like, oh, this, they must feel about that, how I feel about my teachers talking about uh, the assassination of, of JFK. I remember going through school and having teachers who would say, I remember exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing when John F. Kennedy was, was shot and you know, as a grade schooler who was born well after that, I thought, oh, like, that's interesting. And then I found myself years later talking about, I remember exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing when that, you know, that plane hit the World Trade Center towers, and my students were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we think about 9-11. God, in his infinite wisdom and power and knowledge, could have prevented this. But he respects the terrorists' free will, free wills, just as much as he respects my free will, the Blessed Mother's free will, any other person's free will. Okay? He's an equal opportunity respecter and lover. So he doesn't just respect the free wills of people who choose for him. He respects the free wills of people who choose against him, and he allows some of those consequences to naturally play out. The good news is that he will often bring good and beautiful things out of those terrible, horrific acts. So I think back to just after 9-11, our country unified um, more than it's unified, you know, in at least my recent memory. People were returning to places of worship in droves, which was awesome to behold. Sadly, that then dwindled. um, But God brought some good and beautiful things out of that horrific act of terror Secondly, I think more recently of COVID. God could have prevented this, okay? but for some reason, some mysterious reason, he allowed this sickness to spread. Um, anecdotally, okay, I don't know, we're, we're still kind of in the, the midst of it, and we'll see years down the road when we get a little more perspective. But anecdotally, I can tell you that I have a number of, of family and friends who, because of COVID, and then we're work, working remotely. We're able to work from home and care for children, sick loved ones who had COVID not happened, they would be at work, far from this, let's say, sick loved one, um, and have to you know figure out some other scenario. So I can't speak to the horror, the personal pain, the sadness the loss of loved ones uh, in each of these circumstances. But I can say, having experienced my own personal loss, um, that in the spirit of the book of Job, we do not know the mind of God. So we do not always know what God's about. And citing Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, not one sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's knowledge. Okay. So in the midst of God respecting free will, oftentimes uh, suffering and sadness as a result of that, which we won't fully understand this side of heaven, we can see that God often brings beautiful things out of these horrific decisions, which again illustrates the power of God, even more so than, again, if he had just set us on this little path to go from point A to point B and that's it, we're all done, We couldn't have veered off the path. In respecting our free will, he shows his power even more as he brings good out of these often poor decisions. On a cosmic note, so in addition to this example of 9-11 and COVID, we can think of original sin itself. I often had students who would say, and I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, like why didn't God prevent Adam and Eve from committing original sin? He could have. And then we wouldn't all be suffering the effects of that. So it's true. God could have prevented Adam and Eve from committing original sin. But just like he respects each of our free wills, he respected Adam and Eve's free will. So they could choose for him. They could choose against him. And once they chose against him, he still brought incredible good out of it. Sometimes, many say, even better goods out of it. So the exalted, the song that is sung at the Easter vigil, says, Oh, happy fault, which merited for us such a savior. Oh, happy fault. The fact that Adam and Eve messed up big time. Oh, happy fault. What a blessing that they messed up. Because as a result, we get Jesus Christ down the road. Had Adam and Eve not turned from God, we might not needed might not have needed that Savior to come and redeem us, save us, bring us back into communion with God. So had Adam and Eve not messed up, had they not turned from from God, we might never have had Jesus Christ come to save and redeem us. And so the Exalted, this song again, sings, Thank God Adam and Eve turned from God because then we get Jesus Christ, the Savior. Again, we'll revisit this this problem of evil, again, but for now, just keep in mind that evil is not a foe with which God contends. He's in control, God's in control, and he allows it. Um, and secondly, it's because, in part, because of our free will, and uh, we see that he brings good out of it. You may be familiar with this analogy of God being the, the master conductor of a symphony. Each of us throughout time and space have been playing our instrument, our part in the great symphony of life and humanity or human history. And as we each sin, turn away from God, it's as though we're sounding discordant notes in the symphony. God, however, as the master conductor, brings those notes back into the overall beautiful piece of the the symphony. He brings those discordant notes into harmony and as a result brings about this beautiful uh, incredible work of, of masterpiece of music. Recall that that God's infinitely perfect, so nothing's a surprise. Okay, it's not like God changes or um, something happens along the way and he's like, oh, shoot, didn't see that coming. He's outside of time, so he knows what's coming. Mysteriously, we are at the same time freely choosing. Okay, So that's one of those both ands. God is outside of time, so he sees all that I've done, what I'm doing right now, and what I'm going to do. And yet, I am free. I am still choosing freely what to do. He brings those discordant notes, okay, as I choose against him, into harmony with the whole piece so as to create something even more beautiful. And speaking of beauty, uh, paragraph 293 tells us, the world was created for the glory of God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things not to increase his glory, but to show it forth and to communicate it. Paragraph 294 goes on to say, the ultimate purpose of creation is that God, who is the creator of all things, may at last become all in all, thus simultaneously assuring his own glory and our beatitude. It's important to note that God and his glory are not deficient in any way. So God could have gone on for all of eternity, giving and receiving, giving and receiving, giving and receiving love, and he would have been just fine. So he could have gone on for all of eternity, enjoying the quote-unquote glory of his blessed life. However, he decides to share it with each of us and all of creation so that glory shines and expands and fills every nook and cranny of the universe so that we can all enjoy it too. And this is why we share the good news about creation, about God, about his plan for our lives, about our faith, so that, again, the quote-unquote glory of his blessed life can reach into every nook and cranny of the universe so everyone can enjoy it. And we are blessed for sharing it. Not because God will give us a pat on the head and say, thanks for sharing the good news. Thanks for completing this important mission. But because the more we give it away, the more the glory and the blessedness increases for all of us. You might be familiar with C.S. Lewis's beautiful book, The Four Loves. There's a a part uh, in this work where he talks about the nature of friendship and specifically when there's two friends, when there are two friends, and a third enters the mix, uh, how that not, not only doesn't detract from the friendship between persons A and B, But C helps expand that friendship, not only to three people, but it expands the friendship between A and B as a result of friend C bringing more out of each friend A and B. So it's it's natural, I think natural because we live in a fallen state, um, for jealousy to enter into friendship. So a friend's A and B are enjoying a friendship, and then C enters the mix Oftentimes, uh, a jealous jealousy might arise. So, hey, that's my friend. You don't know B like I, A, do. Or, wait a minute, C, You have an inside joke with B without me? That's not right. C.S. Lewis points out that when a true friend joins the friendship, it not only augments the relationship as a whole, but it augments for A, her relationship with B. Lewis writes, Lamb says somewhere that if of three friends – A, B, and C, A should die, then B loses not only A, but A's part in C, while C loses not only A, but A's part in B. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third, and three by a fourth, if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can then say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment our loves. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. Of course, the scarcity of kindred souls, not to mention practical considerations about the size of rooms and the audibility of voices, set limits to the enlargement of the circle. But within those limits, we possess each friend not less but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. We who were created ex nihilo, who began out of nothing, have been given everything. And when we share it, when we give away what we've been given, we paradoxically receive more. The more we share the good news of Jesus Christ, the more that we give away the truth, goodness, and beauty that has been shared with us, the more we'll receive and the happier we'll be. And not just in the next life, but in this life as well. We'll take a brief break and then we'll read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 279 through 301 during the second half of this episode. Thanks for sticking with me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 279 through 301. Paragraph 4, The Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Holy Scripture begins with these solemn words. The profession of faith takes them up when it confesses that God, the Father Almighty, is creator of heaven and earth, in the Apostles' Creed, of all that is seen and unseen, in the Nicene Creed. We shall speak first of the Creator, then of creation, and finally of the fall into sin from which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to raise us up again. Creation is the foundation of all God's saving plans, the beginning of the history of salvation that culminates in Christ. Conversely, the mystery of Christ casts conclusive light on the mystery of creation and reveals the end for which in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From the beginning, God envisaged the glory of the new creation in Christ. And so the readings of the Easter Vigil, the celebration of the new creation in Christ, begin with the creation account. Likewise, in the Byzantine liturgy, the account of creation always constitutes the first reading at the vigils of the great feasts of the Lord. According to ancient witnesses, the instruction of catechumens for baptism followed the same itinerary. Catechesis on Creation. Catechesis on creation is of major importance. It concerns the very foundations of human and Christian life, for it makes explicit the response of the Christian faith to the basic question that men of all times have asked themselves. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? Where does everything that exists come from and where is it going? The two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. The question about the origins of the world and of man has been the object of many scientific studies which have splendidly enriched our knowledge of the age and dimensions of the cosmos, the development of life forms and the appearance of man. These discoveries invite us to even greater admiration for the greatness of the Creator, prompting us to give him thanks for all his works and for the understanding and wisdom he gives to scholars and researchers. With Solomon, they can say, It is he who gave me unerring knowledge of what exists, to know the structure of the world and the activity of the elements. For wisdom, the fashioner of all things, taught me. The great interest accorded to these studies is strongly stimulated by a question of another order, which goes beyond the proper domain of the natural sciences. It is not only a question of knowing when and how the universe arose physically, or when man appeared, but rather of discovering the meaning of such an origin. Is the universe governed by chance, blind fate, anonymous necessity, or by a transcendent, intelligent, and good being called God? And if the world does come from God's wisdom and goodness, why is there evil? Where does it come from? Who is responsible for it? Is there any liberation from it? Since the beginning, the Christian faith has been challenged by responses to the question of origins that differ from its own. Ancient religions and cultures produce many myths concerning origins. Some philosophers have said that everything is God, that the world is God, or that the development of the world is the development of God, such as pantheism. Others have said that the world is a necessary emanation arising from God and returning to him. Still others have affirmed the existence of two eternal principles, good and evil, light and darkness, locked in permanent conflict such as dualism or Manichaeism. According to some of these conceptions, the world, at least the physical world, is evil, the product of a fall, and is thus to be rejected or left behind, such as Gnosticism. Some admit that the world was made by God, but as by a watchmaker, who once he has made a watch, abandons it to itself, such as deism. Finally, others reject any transcendent origin for the world, but see it as merely the interplay of matter that has always existed, such as materialism. All these attempts bear witness to the permanence and universality of the question of origins. This inquiry is distinctively human. Human intelligence is surely already capable of finding a response to the question of origins. The existence of God the creator can be known with certainty through his works, by the light of human reason, even if this knowledge is often obscured and disfigured by error. This is why faith comes to confirm and enlighten reason in the correct understanding of this truth. By faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. The truth about creation is so important for all of human life that God in his tenderness wanted to reveal to his people everything that is salutary to know on the subject. Beyond the natural knowledge that every man can have of the creator, God progressively revealed to Israel the mystery of creation. He who chose the patriarchs, who brought Israel out of Egypt, and who by choosing Israel created and formed it, this same God reveals himself as the one to whom belong all the peoples of the earth and the whole earth itself. He is the one who alone made heaven and earth. Thus, the revelation of creation is inseparable from the revelation and forging of the covenant of the one God with his people. Creation is revealed as the first step toward this covenant, the first and universal witness to God's all-powerful love. And so, the truth of creation is also expressed with growing vigor in the message of the prophets, the prayer of the Psalms and the liturgy, and in the wisdom sayings of the chosen people. Among all the scriptural texts about creation, the first three chapters of Genesis occupy a unique place. From a literary standpoint, these texts may have had diverse sources. The inspired authors have placed them at the beginning of Scripture to express in their solemn language the truths of creation its origin and its end in God, its order and goodness, the vocation of man, and finally the drama of sin and the hope of salvation. Read in the light of Christ, Within the unity of sacred scripture and in the living tradition of the church, these texts remain the principal source for catechesis on the mysteries of the beginning—creation, fall, and the promise of salvation. Creation, work of the Holy Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Three things are affirmed in these first words of scripture. The eternal God gave a beginning to all that exists outside of himself— He alone is creator. The verb create, Hebrew bara, always has God for its subject. The totality of what exists, expressed by the formula, the heavens and the earth, depends on the one who gives it being. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The New Testament reveals that God created everything by the eternal word, his beloved son. In him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The church's faith likewise confesses the creative action of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, the creator spirit, the source of every good. The Old Testament suggests that the New Covenant reveals the creative action of the Son and the Spirit, inseparably one with that of the Father. This creative cooperation is clearly affirmed in the Church's rule of faith. There exists but one God. He is the Father, God, the Creator, the Author, the Giver of Order. He made all things by Himself, that is, by His Word and by His Wisdom, by the Son and the Spirit, who, so to speak, are His hands. Creation is the common work of the Holy Trinity. The world was created for the glory of God. Scripture and tradition never cease to teach and celebrate this fundamental truth. The world was made for the glory of God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things, not to increase his glory, but to show it forth and to communicate it. For God has no other reason for creating than his love and goodness. Creatures came into existence when the key of love opened his hand. The First Vatican Council explains this one true God of his own goodness and almighty power, not for increasing his own beatitude, nor for attaining his perfection, but in order to manifest this perfection through the benefits which he bestows on creatures, with absolute freedom of counsel, and from the beginning of time, made out of nothing both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal. The glory of God consists in the realization of this manifestation and communication of his goodness, for which the world was created. God made us to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. For the glory of God is man fully alive. Moreover, a man's life is the vision of God. If God's revelation through creation has already obtained life for all the beings that dwell on earth... How much more will the Word's manifestation of the Father obtain life for those who see God? The ultimate purpose of creation is that God, who is the creator of all things, may at last become all in all, thus simultaneously assuring his own glory and our beatitude. The mystery of creation God creates by wisdom and love. We believe that God created the world according to his wisdom. It is not the product of any necessity whatever, nor of blind fate or chance. We believe that it proceeds from God's free will. He wanted to make his creature share in his being, wisdom, and goodness. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Therefore the psalmist exclaims, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all, and the Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. God creates out of nothing. We believe that God needs no pre existent thing or any help in order to create, nor is creation any sort of necessary emanation from the divine substance. God creates freely out of nothing. If God had drawn the world from pre existent matter, what would be so extraordinary in that? A human artisan makes from a given material whatever he wants, while well, God shows his power by starting from nothing to make all he wants. Scripture bears witness to faith in creation out of nothing, as a truth full of promise and hope. Thus the mother of seven sons encourages them for martyrdom. I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. Look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them, and recognize that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus also mankind comes into being. Since God could create everything out of nothing, he can also, through the Holy Spirit, give spiritual life to sinners by creating a pure heart in them, and bodily life to the dead through the resurrection. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And since God was able to make light shine in darkness by his word, he can also give the light of faith to those who do not yet know him. God creates an ordered and good world. Because God creates through wisdom, his creation is ordered. You have arranged all things by measure and number and weight. The universe created in and by the eternal word, the image of the invisible God, is destined for and addressed to man. Himself created in the image of God and called to a personal relationship with God. Our human understanding, which shares in the light of the divine intellect, can understand what God tells us by means of His creation, though not without great effort and only in a spirit of humility and respect before the Creator and His work. Because creation comes forth from God's goodness, it shares in that goodness. And God saw that it was good, very good. For God willed creation as a gift addressed to man, An inheritance destined for and entrusted to him. On many occasions, the church has had to defend the goodness of creation, including that of the physical world. God transcends creation and is present to it. God is infinitely greater than all his works. You have set your glory above the heavens. Indeed, God's greatness is unsearchable. But because he is the free and sovereign creator, the first cause of all that exists, God is present to his creature's inmost being. In him we live and move and have our being. In the words of St. Augustine, God is higher than my highest and more inward than my innermost self. God upholds and sustains creation. With creation, God does not abandon his creatures to themselves. He not only gives them being and existence, but also, and at every moment, upholds and sustains them in being enables them to act and bring them to their final end. Recognizing this utter dependence with respect to the creator is a source of wisdom and freedom, of joy and confidence. For you love all things that exist and detest none of the things that you have made. For you would not have made anything if you had hated it. How would anything have endured if you had not willed it? Or how would anything not called forth by you have been preserved? You spare all things, for they are yours, O Lord, you who love the living. That brings us to the end of our reading selection for the day, the end of our episode. Thanks so much for joining me this week on Catholic Light. If you're looking to connect during the week, meet me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And please pray for me and my family as I'm praying for you and yours. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.